From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 61. Today's show is brought to you by Lynda.com, Casper, and Stamps.com. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mr. Mike Hurley. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm doing fine. Good good morning to you. Good day to you, sir. A good day to you, sir. And we say good day to a special guest this week. Yes, one of our rare special guests. Mr. Joe Steele. Joe Steele. Good day to you both as well. Good day. Double day. <laughs> good day. Good day indeed. Joe is usually in our chat room, and he's actually on the show this time. He can talk back to us, and we hear him. That might not be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> So Joe is here because we want to talk about the Apple TV today, and uh, Mr. Steele is renowned for his opinions on the Apple TV. Um, So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But of course, we must stick to the format, and we Mm. have a follow-up slash out section. And I would like to begin with a clarification about something I was talking about last week, which a few people wrote in about, but uh, Mr. Stephen Hackett got... Uh, Who? basically yeah, exactly attacked me and Jason in the slack room um, mm. about something that I said last week so I was talking about um, vicious attacks indeed vicious word attacks if you remember I was talking about the fact that I was having issues with apps um, that I was trying to open them on my new iMac and then I said that there was uh, that they basically had to be deleted and when I deleted and, and reinstalled the apps on the Mac App Store I was surprised at the fact that all of my preferences remained so Stephen reminded me uh, the app preferences are saved separately, even for Mac App Store apps, like they are for all Mac apps. There's like a prefs folder. Now, I knew this. I remember back in the day using an app called Little Zapper. Do you remember Little Zapper, Jason? Nope. Oh, was it called Little Zapper? <laughs> it was some kind of, it was an well, application. This that is the follow-up a, that creates more follow-up. This is it, perfect. <laughs> it was an application that had a ray gun icon. And yeah, okay. you used it to fully uninstall applications. So huh. you would drag an app onto this uh, onto this app. I think it was called Little Zapper or something Zapper. And App Zapper, I'm being told in the chat room. Mm. And what it would do that is it would r- not only install... Yep, it's oh, it still exists. It still looks the same. Look at that guy. You would drag apps onto it, and it would remove all of the preferences files and everything, so it was completely uninstalled from your Mac. Um, this is something that continues to boggle my mind to this day, that there isn't a simple uninstall that gets rid of everything. And I was just I just naturally assumed that apps from the App Store were treated in this way like they are on iOS. So that was why I was surprised uh, my natural assumption failed me. Well, it's yeah, it's there's uh well you're thinking that it's sandbox and so it's all in the app, but the, there yeah. also is a little uh, they have access to a preferences place, and it's for this very reason that if you delete your app and then you bring it back later, it remembers all of the stuff. Yeah, but it see, it doesn't do that on other platforms though, right? Like unless it syncs with iCloud in some way. So mm-hmm. it's just a a confusing thing, I think, to me. But all right. there you go. That explains why. Um, in a great piece of follow out. Um, I inadvertently, or we inadvertently, created an entire segment on this week's episode of the Accidental <laughs> Tech Podcast, episode one hundred and forty-one. Um, so they and they were talking about follow out. If you if you remember, uh, John does not condone the use of the term follow out. Uh, but to that, Jason, I say I don't care. Uh-huh. John owns follow up. He does not own all of the follow verticals um, that we have helped uh, to spurn here. Do you care? Do you, do you need John's approval for follow out? No, I don't. Good. I don't. 
we we did we also um didn't didn't we learn the the identity of uh the inventor of fallout as a concept too this week one of our uh actually linked i'm I'm trying to pull up the uh the uh the tweet here because it was um yeah i can't find it but we actually did have the the he cited his tweet from january where uh, <laughs> where where uh, he coined Fallout for us. Oh, so okay. I'll I'll, do, well, I'll look that up while you explain what happened on ATP. Um, basically, they discussed my storage issues um, and thinking about whether I would need a NAS or something locally attached for to solve my storage problem, right? Because I have stuff that I want to store, um, that like big files, like logic files and stuff like that. But you know, I, I have a terabyte of storage, and I want to keep them off of the iMac. Uh, so the guys were talking about, and they kind of got pretty deep into the weeds about like NAS and Synology, um, even though that they yeah. all knew and, and said on the show that that's, that's not something that can work for me. My network setup and arrangement here is not something that will work for me. So right. I will probably end up going with a attached route. So I'm going to start looking into, this is something that Marco was mentioning. Um, ideally, I would like this to be an SSD solution uh, because I don't want noise and heat. Um, because it will be in the same room, right, if it's going to be connected. So right. I'm going to start looking into something like that, maybe some kind of SSD enclosure. I don't know if something like a Drobo works in this way. I haven't looked into that yet because I do want speed and silence. But I liked something that John mentioned where he was talking about the fact that it's crazy that this problem still exists today. Yeah. Like, And that the, the problem is inherently that everybody's needs are different and there isn't a solution that can fix it. And it's it remains to be one of the only computer hardware issues that lives on in this way. Well, and I think, I may have mentioned this last week, but I think one of the reasons this remains is because everybody assumes that the world is going to infinite cloud storage and infinite bandwidth, which is great. It probably is on an infinite time scale. Mm-hmm. But, um, ding, they... Uh, uh, but not now, <laughs> you know, right? Not now. You don't have infinite bandwidth. You have very limited bandwidth, and you, you know, there's not infinite cloud storage. And um, and so I understand why companies wouldn't want to invest in something that might only be technology that nerdy people would want for, you know, and maybe consumers. I think that that's the feeling is like the cloud storage stuff is going to be the solution that works for general consumers, and that's just going to continue to grow. And um, it makes it for people like us who have these more specific needs. There, there's not a perfect selection of things to choose from, so we're all kind of choosing from this imperfect collection. I've got this. I've got this Drobo, and I love it because it's huge. It is. Um, there's so much space on it. Um, you know, it does make a little bit of noise, although it's about six feet, eight feet away from me. And um, when it when it runs, it mostly sounds like. Uh, like uh, faint like sounds of rain on the roof or something like that it's this little very soft gentle ticking kind of sound and i could probably put it further away and not hear it at all um but it doesn't it doesn't bother me it doesn't show up on recordings it's not a it's not a problem um and i love the size of it and what i hated was i used to have a stack of terabyte drives like multiple you know one terabyte drives and then it's like which drive is it on and they're really loud because they've got individual enclosures so they've got their own spinning disks and their own fans and i hate that so ssd enclosure uh, might work it's gonna not be cheap but that might be that might be one way to do it and the other thing i would say is yeah if you could get like a firewire raid of some kind and uh, or not firewire thunderbolt raid of some kind you could you could possibly even get like a really long thunderbolt cable and put it like 
far away from your computer <laughs> where yeah. you're not going to hear it as much. I in don't my know. current setup, that doesn't really work so much. I, yeah. I, it may be in the future. Like in the future, I could maybe go with some kind of NAS storage solution, but right now I can't. So right. I would really appreciate if anybody has any recommendations of, of SSD enclosures. I like the idea of a Drobo, right? Because of their kind of solution that, you know, like you can take drives out, put drives in, that kind of stuff, and it's not an issue. Um, but I'm not. I'm not fixed to that idea. Basically, I just want something that I can mount, you know, and I have a few terabytes of uh, SSD storage. I'm completely aware of how expensive this is going to be. Yeah. Uh, But it is the solution that I want and need, so I'm willing to put the money in if I know that it's going to be worth my time. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, And there was just one thing that I wanted to mention before we get into the Apple TV today, which was a really great post on the Twitter blog. Um, where they were addressing some feedback that they had from developers. So during their flight conference a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jack Dorsey sent out a tweet and he was like, you know, use the hashtag hello world and let us know what you developers want to see, right? He wanted requests, he wanted ideas. And on this blog, they go through and they list some of the most popular requests um, and they talk about those, which is really interesting. And they highlight certain ways that they're thinking about some things um, they don't really address any specific changes, uh, but to me, the fact that they're talking about things like rate limiting and token restrictions, and they kind of talk about why that's difficult for them to address. But to me, the idea that they're even mentioning these things as bad things is good to me. This feels yeah. like a change of some kind is coming, right? That they are openly talking about the issues that developers have with their platform. I like that. I think this is a really positive change. It's on the full-on blog. It's not like on a developer blog. Um, I think this is really, really awesome. Yeah, and it sounds like they don't know. You know, they're not committing to anything. No, but they don't need to right now. They're I don't just think. saying we we hear you and we're thinking about it. And yes, they may come out and say, well, when we talk about developers and APIs, we're really talking about these, you know, value add vertical, blah 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 kind of things that ride on top of Twitter, but. Um, you know, I, I think they, they're certainly aware of this perception that the Twitter client isn't the be-all, end-all for all users and that they used to have a really vibrant third-party client environment, but the API has been strangled and they have the, the you know, the tokens, which they mentioned, like how it's a pain for developers because they've got tokens that they have for per user and all of that. And I'm I'm encouraged by that. I, I, I My gut feeling is we're not going to ever have, um, you know, sort of like what what it was. But uh, it may be better than it is now, and I think that would be great. And I, you know, I'm okay with them saying. Um, and they said in that blog post, actually, we want to be able to create new features and get them out, and we don't want to roll things out on the API when we're not sure how they're going to work or whether people are going to use them. And their examples were like Twitter polls and um, and uh, the the lightning bolt uh, moments feature, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, they want the freedom to be able to explore. This stuff, and you can imagine, like, if they rolled out Twitter polls with an API and said, okay, here's how we're doing polling. Everybody support this. This is how it's going to be. And then, like, in three months, they're like, oh, yeah, uh, we did that wrong. We're going to change it or we're going to kill it. And then all the developers are like, well, I I just spent all this time implementing polls and you're killing the feature? They want the freedom to be able to say, yeah, you know, actually, yes, we are. We want to try these features out and change them or kill them and not have developers, you know, if, if we have to support this whole developer 
environment and this, these APIs and all of that and be concerned about the developer reaction to some of these new features, we may not launch the features we need to launch. Um, and I see that. I, I totally get that. Then again, there are things that they withhold from their APIs that are just standard things in Twitter and they're withholding them because they're jerks. And those it would be nice if they didn't do those. So I, I think there's maybe a balance here where some new features might only show up in the official clients uh, at first, and uh, that's okay. But right now, the official client, or the the non-official clients, have um, not no access to basically any new features or almost any new features added over the last like four years. And yeah. and 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 that would that that would be nice if they could change it. And it would be nice if the token lim- limitations were lifted so that. Um, developers could actually have a reason to invest in development because i know that like why why do we not see twitterific for mac uh updated from the version that 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 dates from like five years ago and i think i don't know this for a fact i've talked to those guys about twitterific a lot but i don't know this for a fact but my guess is um that's going to be a lot of extra work for a smaller audience because the mac is a smaller audience than ios and again there if you've got uh, limits and Tweetbot is the same way, where you can, you're limited to the number of customers you can have. Then it's very hard to invest more development effort in these products because at some point you're going to not be able to sell any more copies of that. And and uh, so it might spur investment in in Twitter related apps if they were to change the story on something like the tokens. So uh, yeah, I, I share your optimism, um, but let, let's not get ahead of ourselves there's there's still a long way to go and 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 we may not like everything we may not like everything we get but it's good that they're talking about it yep. because that's better than what what it was this is actually and this is some some breaking news which is like this morning they came out with a story in the hollywood reporter about how it looks like cbs is setting up um at a a, a production company that's going to deal with them to start exploring doing a new star trek tv show and joe and i i know are very excited about that and it's like I had a bunch of people say, well, you know, they, they're still looking for a writer and we don't know about these producers and people who don't like the J.J. Abrams movies are like, well, these are J.J. Abrams guys, so I don't like that about it. And I had the same thought as about this Twitter post, which is, look, it's a step. <laughs> there were previously no steps. It was silence. So it's a start. We may not like everything that comes out of that Star Trek TV show, if it ever even happens, but at least they're talking about it. That's how I feel about Twitter. That was some, some nerd stuff there. Hi, Joe. I love I, that you tried to find <laughs> any possible way to bring up that Star yep, Trek news. I, I like did. Just any way you could get around to that. I, I wasn't going to do it. it, and then suddenly there it was, so I had to take it. Because it's the same thing, right? It's like the first news about anything. You're like, well, I don't know. Um, you know, And, and you want to be restrained. You don't want to be like super like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's the greatest thing ever. And, and then, you know, but you also want to acknowledge that uh, for things to exist, there has to be that first step where like, we're considering that this might exist. And I feel that way about the Twitter thing too. It's like, hey, they're paying attention. They may not do what we want, but they're, they seem to be paying attention and that's good. Yeah. Tw- Twitter and Star Trek. Exactly they're the same. same. <laughs> yeah. That's what we've learned <laughs> A legacy today, of, squand- of squandering something really great and then trying to figure out what to do with it. Well, I'm pleased we've learned some valuable lessons, and so it's time to move on now, Jason. Well, actually, one more thing. I, I promised this. Michael uh, Tophius is the coiner of uh, Fallout. He sent us a tweet uh, that was dated January 19th, 2015, where he said to uh, to you and me and Upgrade FM, the follow-up on other podcasts vertical should be named Fallout. So I think we have to give Michael his due uh, as, the, as the coiner of Fallout, which I like as a term. 
So there Congratulations, you have you will go down in the history books now. I like <laughs> yes, that there are two animals. favorites of this tweet. One is you, one is me. We both yep. agreed immediately with this uh-huh. notion. So there no, we actually, go. I just I just faved it this week when he linked to it again. He he linked uh-huh. to it and was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, that was me. I'm like, oh, okay, fave, super fave. Okay, that's uh, that's follow up out. This week's episode is brought to you by Lynda.com, the online learning platform that has, believe it or not, over 3,000 on-demand video courses that are there to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills. As a listener of this show, you can get yourself a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash upgrade. Let's say you're trying to learn something new, right? So you have maybe a hobby that you've always been really interested in, but you don't know where to start. Like, let's say you want to get into photography, but you're not really sure how to use the apps needed. You're not sure the best ways to take portraits. This is the stuff that Linda.com can help you learn. Let's say you're preparing for a big presentation you've got coming up and you need to do some data crunching. So you need to learn some new tools in Excel so you can wow your bosses to get that promotion you've been looking for. This is the stuff you can learn with Blender.com. Let's say that you're looking to start your own business and you want to understand how income tax works or you want to understand some crazy things about maybe how to go paperless, right? So you can have the best possible setup for your business you can learn this stuff at lynda.com. You will be taught by top experts who are super passionate about teaching. You'll be able to stream from thousands of video courses all on demand, and you can learn at your own pace with lynda.com. All of their courses are structured into bite-sized chunks, so you can watch them from start to finish or consume them in any order as you'd like, and you can create and save them to playlists so you can customize your own learning path and share these with other people as well. You can even watch and download courses to your Android and iOS devices so you can learn on the go wherever you want whenever you like. Your Lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you're just looking to learn something new, go ahead and visit lynda.com slash upgrade for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to Lynda.com for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. You know, Mike, when we started doing those ads, uh, I, that number, that 3,000 number was much lower. <laughs> yes, it yes. keeps getting bigger. It's that it's just I, I've noticed that the, the pace of content being added to Lynda.com is kind of spectacular because that 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 used to be like a thousand or fifteen hundred, I think, when we started talking about them, and it's at three thousand now. It's crazy. Yeah, um, I also know of some uh, a friend of ours who's been working with Lynda.com for some exciting uh, videos that I'm really excited to talk about when they go up. Mm. So that's that's something to look out for. Ooh. Stuff that I think our listeners to this show would really like. So, Apple TV, we all have one, right? Yep. Yes. Everybody has an Apple TV. Um, I just want to preface this conversation to say that I think that most of my views and opinions are tainted on the fact that I don't care about the Apple TV. (laughs) Like, I have used, I set it up, played around with it, and I haven't touched it since. And and I know that I will, and we'll get to that in a bit, why I think that there could be some stuff here for me. But just my kind of habits don't really lend themselves to the Apple TV, like the way that I consume entertainment. Um, but Mr. Rosensteel, uh, you are an Apple TV user, are you not? Like you, you were a fan of the product or at least used the product prior to this? Uh, yes, I am a, a passionate... Uh user i guess uh, of the uh, third generation one that came out uh quite some time ago and uh that one was in sore need of an update and so i i 
ran out and bought the uh, the fourth gen, uh, and I, I uh, have had opinions about both things in the past. Uh, I, I think that it's a good product for Apple to have uh, in general, which is why it always surprises me when you talk about how you can't uh, fathom using it. Um, but but uh, I could I could understand maybe if you have all of these devices so close to you, your computer and your iPad, etc., that it might not seem necessary to turn on the TV to uh, go plod through these apps. What about you, Jason? I just uh, somebody Mrs. Soup in the ch- in the chat room mentioned that that uh, purchasing all four generations of Apple TV. I've done that. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> I had the I had the the uh, the hand warmer uh, giant uh, running. I looked it up. It was like running Tiger. I think it was a Mac essentially, a very small Mac Mini, flat Mac Mini, and then the two black boxes, the the thin black boxes, and now the the tall black box i use it i used to use it more um i I mentioned this i think maybe last week i used to use it more um but lately i've been using my tivo more as a streamer because the tivo now supports a bunch of the streaming services but i also have a lot of content on itunes so i ended up you know it it ended up being at the very least an itunes streamer but i used to i used to use it as our that it was our netflix box too and now we mostly use netflix through tivo and actually one of the reasons we do that is because there's a there's a, a tied in search database that that has those shows and when so if you if you search for a show or you can kind of pin a show on the TiVo menu um, it will have Netflix and Hulu links in there and Amazon which is not yet on the Apple TV so um, I I've been using it uh, on and off for its entire life I think it would be fair fair to say so I want to talk about the setup experience which is my favorite topic for any Apple device mm. right now but just because I've been setting up so many Apple devices recently. So my first bugbear with this, you take it out of the box, and Apple do not include a HDMI cable with the Apple TV, which I think is a problem because I believe that there would be a lot of people that would buy this device maybe from not an Apple store, right? Maybe from a Best Buy or something, or they buy it online, and it arrives. And I really don't think that the best experience for a new product is it arrives and you don't have the cable to plug it into your TV. Like, you're just like, oh, well, now I have to go get another cable. I just think put it in there and increase the price by $10 if you really have to. But there should be a HDMI cable, in my opinion, in this box. Well, one of the baffling things is that they include the lightning cable um, instead of, like you said, <laughs> an HDMI cable. And it's yeah. like, I, I have I have some of those uh, around my house. Uh, and it's not like you constantly need it for the remote. Um, so it, it would have made more sense probably for that to have been an HDMI cable. And they don't even cost that much anymore, uh, relatively speaking, like monoprice cables or Amazon Basics or whatever. I knew it didn't have it inside of the box, but I also knew that I had one from the old TV uh, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't need. Uh, I, I don't know the buying experience for most people. If they will know to look on the box where it says that it includes these things and not that other thing. So uh hopefully nobody gets it for christmas and can't plug it into anything the guy uh so i ordered i ordered one online on monday and uh while i was uh, on the tarmac at uh, phoenix airport and uh it 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 was i didn't want to pay the extra shipping so it's going to arrive today probably while we're doing this it may actually show up at my front door so on uh friday morning i just went on to the apple store and they had in-store pickup and i just ordered one and went and got it at 10 in the morning on friday and was using it but when i when i picked it up the guy who brought it out said um do you have an hdmi cable they very specifically, and yeah. I assumed, are, have been trained at, at the Apple stores to mention 
HDMI cables because they know it doesn't have it in the box. I think that's interesting because that's uh, that's it's an upsell for them. I, I'll grant you, but also it's an awareness that this may be an issue. Right, but see, the uh, thing when, is, that is a problem, not a good thing. Like people, some I think oh, I some people would hear that and be like. Oh, yeah, no, that's good because they're asking you, right? They're making sure you've got one. But what that actually shows is if they have been trained, Apple understands that this is a bad thing, right? They understand that people may have this problem. So they're telling people to talk about it. It's crazy making to me. It's good retail customer service, but it's caused by a decision by Apple, the product part, to not include it in the box. Yeah. Well, and... I actually had a different experience because I, I, I to, similar to Jason, I was like, oh, no, it doesn't say like when it's going to be available in stores. I better go buy it online now. And then it was available that Friday. Uh, yeah. So I went to uh, the Apple store in Century City, picked it up, and the employee there did not mention uh, the HDMI cable. It's because um, people in L.A. are awful. <laughs> yes. It's like, Just the worst. We live, in, we live in L.A. We all understand how TV works. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You, you you have like 5,000 HDMI cables because you watch so much TV. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's like spaghetti. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I was lucky then. I thought that, I, I noted that they that they did. I have so many extra HDMI cables that it was really like, no, no, no. I don't want any more. Please don't sell sure. me your whatever it is. Probably among the more expensive HDMI cables to buy would be one at the Apple store, right? Rose gold plated? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I expect that most people listening to this show have cables. Right? Like I had an extra yeah. HDMI cable, of course I did. But I, I just—it's really confusing to me that you don't do it. Like if you buy a games console, right? So the Xbox, PlayStation, they come with them in. And I know it's a different price point, but it depends what market Apple think that they're operating in because they really do like to think they're a games console about fifty percent of the time. Um, and I, it just is very peculiar to me that you wouldn't include those cables. But anyway, let's talk about setting up, right? So I plug the Apple TV in and I'm starting to go. And it's like, you know, heavens, heavens above have opened and I can hear the angels sing as it tells me to set up my device by ho- holding my iOS device nearby, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is fantastic. I don't need to enter all the passwords. So I put my iPhone real close to the Apple TV so it will work. And then it just said, couldn't activate. Try again later. So I tried again three more times and it wouldn't activate. So I had to do manual setup. It's like they knew. They knew that I would be annoyed if I had to do this. So I had to go through. I had to type in all my Apple ID. I had to type in all my passwords a couple of times. And and then quite strangely, uh, as soon as I set up the Apple TV, I got a pop-up on my Mac telling me that my Apple ID was now being used on a new iPad, which... I found really surprising. Huh. <laughs> I was like, huh. okay, Apple TV, <laughs> you think you're an iPad. Uh, so that was my setup experience. It was a, it, it was so close, so close to being what I wanted, but wasn't what I got. I assume that you two maybe had a better experience than me. Different. Jason, you go first with yours. <laughs> uh, I, it, it, uh, I too got the iPhone setup thing and it worked. And so it associated my iCloud ID with the device, and that was great. And I thought, wow, good job, Apple. You know I've got an iOS device. You know I've got my iPhone here. Um, that makes it much easier. I mean, you don't have to have it, but I've, chances are pretty good that you've got an iOS device around. Yeah. I, I've, I've got that. It, uh, it's got proximity. I'm verifying who I am. We're, we're, we're good to go. Uh, and that was great. Except um, later in the process, I was asked to enter in my... Uh, my iCloud password, 
yep. which is a complicated password with symbols and upper and lowercase letters. And I and and I had that moment where I thought, oh well, you know what we need to do is uh, go to the uh, remote app because the remote app lets you uh, gives you a keyboard when there's text input on the Apple TV, and so you open it up in your iPhone and then you can type in. And I you don't I don't use it for like searches and things on my old Apple TV, but I do it for passwords and stuff because passwords are are, are long strings of characters, right? Uh, so I have to admit, at the event in September, I specifically asked an Apple person at an Apple TV if the remote app would be updated to work with the new Apple TV. It seemed logical because it's got the new Apple TV's got a touch screen and it's got sensors and it's got it's got all the stuff that's also in an iPhone. So you should theoretically be able to run an app on your iPhone that makes your iPhone kind of like an Apple TV remote. You know, and it, one comes in the box, but you know, you have your iPhone around, maybe that would be another way to do it. Plus, it's got the ability to do things like uh, input passwords. Uh, and so I asked this this guy at the Apple event and he said, "Nope." And I thought, that is really weird that it's a no. It's not an I don't know anything about that. It's a no. Well, it turns out that guy is right because they haven't updated the remote app. It doesn't work with the new Apple TV. And so I got to input my complex iCloud password, even though I'd already paired it with my iPhone. I had to put my complex iCloud password in again using the trackpad and that one-line screen. And also, can I mention that it's a one... A one-line uh, keyboard screen instead of one with uh, with rows. Hmm. So instead of being able to, so if you want to go from A to Z, you have to you have to move all the way across instead of being able to kind of go down and around like a like it's emulating a, a keyboard, or sometimes they call that the Ouija board interface. Yeah. So I had to do I had to do that multiple times. I think for the type of trackpad that Apple have created, um, I think that this sliding left to right is maybe the best. I think it's I, debatable. I think it's I, debatable. I, I, I think that a grid would have been better because the actual surface space, like surface area of it, it's so narrow that like going all the way to the left and all the way to the right, you're just dragging your thumb multiple times to go back and forth. Yeah. And oftentimes you skip over letters and stuff because you're trying to go very quickly to the other side. Uh, so I, I, I found it to be imprecise and probably one of the worst software keyboards I've seen Apple make in a long time and i didn't even like mm. the one that was on the previous apple tv where it was the grid but with with something like this it would have been preferable to the just one giant line my thinking yeah, I, is I that so. if you have multiple rows um it would be i don't know if the people's movement on the touchpad is precise enough to drop down the row simply enough i can imagine a scenario where you mean to go down one you go down two like because if you have that problem going left to right imagine that in both axes like, I just think it increases the amount of errors that could be made when trying to select a letter. Yeah, but your software should be should be pretty smart about knowing the kind of velocity of what you're doing and 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 know that you know if if you're if you're moving to the right but your angle is a little bit down to just sort of keep it to the right and they, they do that on iOS all the time. Sure. The, the the best I wish Apple would have done this. The best software keyboard and kind of control uh, input mechanism that I've used is the PlayStation Four, where you can go into this mode where you hold the controller. And you move the controller in 3D space, it, like you're pointing at the TV. Mm. And it, and as you move the controller up and down, it moves the selection. So you kind of aim the controller at the TV, moved it left, move it left, right, up and down, and it hovers over the letters, and you just tap the one that you want. I like that. That worked really well for me. And it's kind of like, imagine, it's like text input on a Wii, right? Where you point at yeah. the remote, and you point where you want to go, and you hit sure. it. Um, and I would have liked to have seen Apple do this, because they have the technology in the remote to make that kind of keyboard occur. 
Um, so I think it would have been nice to see something like that. But yeah, the, the text entry system is not great. And it is really frustrating that it's the only way that you Yeah, can the do remote this. app is a great fall, fallback for these moments when you need to do that. And so the fact that Apple has an app and the previous generation supports it and it just doesn't exist for this, it's ridiculous. So there's that. And I, I, haven't, I, I haven't gotten to my best part yet, which is not only do I have to enter my iCloud password in not once, but I think th- I'm going to say three times. Um, which is crazy. And this is a problem we, Mike, you and I have talked about on Upgrade about uh, iOS updates and going to a new phone where it sure seems like we should be able to enter our Apple password in fewer times than we do. Um, but in addition to that, I, uh, when I went to download an app that was, it was made fire. So it was a free app, but with in-app purchase. And I don't know if that, I think that maybe triggers a different buying thing than doing an update or downloading a free app. Um, and I was told you need to verify your credit card security number. Yeah, I had that too. That made me furious. <laughs> and and what it said was go to your iTunes account, open iTunes, and go to your account screen. Oh. And I and I thought, whoa, wait a second. So so it basically kicked me to my computer. I had to go huh. to iTunes to the account screen. So so you have to know where that is because it was really vague. It was like the account screen in iTunes, which is you have to put on your name and you go to the account. And then on the account screen, there was a line of text of text toward the top of the screen, but not at the top of the screen. It was not a particularly um, uh, prominently displayed line, I would say. It was, it was actually pretty small. And it said, before you can complete the purchase you started on your Apple TV, you must click edit next to your billing address and verify your payment information. Jeez. Now, I don't know why my credit card information was flagged, and I know other people have not had to deal with this, but I looked at this and I'm like, are you kidding me? To set up my Apple TV, to download a free app on top of everything else, you're kicking me back to a computer, to iTunes, to a detail screen, and then get, get this really non-obvious line of text that says that you need to click edit it next to your billing address of course what, what, where else would i do it and then bring that up so that then i can enter in the space where my uh my security code is i could enter the three digit security code or for whatever it is wow. little security code and then when i did that then i got the message that you you uh mentioned which is oh now uh, an iphone or an ipad has been associated and another device has been associated with this uh with this apple account and at that point, I went back to my Apple TV and it asked me for my password again. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then when I inputted again, laboriously, my long, complicated iTunes password, the free app finally downloaded. And, and, and this is going to be, I mean, a lot of people have written about this. Basically, uh, we'll talk about the post uh, setup part. And I had a much better experience with that. But the setup part, I mean, it's just... This is the same story as when we were talking about the iPhones. Apple is making attempts to make it easier. That initial pairing kind of with your iCloud account is pretty great. But then it just kind of fell fell apart. And once I got it all, like all the flags were were ticked. Everything was checked. And it's like, yes, now you're validated for everything. Once I did that, it was smooth sailing. But it took, it was ridiculous what it took to get there. I had the uh, card verification thing pop up but i just had to enter the ccv code on the apple tv that was all i had to do yeah yeah i don't know what it was about my uh my setup that it made me go to itunes but uh it's bizarre i don't know uh i had i had it on my screen as well uh like mike did but i clicked away uh because i didn't have my card with me right at the time and so then when i went back 
later on, I just went to my computer to uh, uh, authorize it and update it. Um, but uh, that that is really unpleasant, and it's a number of uh, it's one of a, a number of times that it kicks you to your computer to do that. Uh, one thing about setting up an Apple TV is also it only really sets up that pairing thing once. Um, I, I I was kind of curious to see how it would happen if I actually moved. Uh, so I went from uh, my uh, boyfriend's apartment to my apartment, uh, and I tested the Apple TV, and I had paired it at his place, and it loaded up all the Wi-Fi stuff for his his place. And when I went to my uh, apartment, it didn't uh, recognize the network because it doesn't download every network your iPhone has ever been connected to. It only does the one hmm. that's inside of the the room. So uh, when I uh, went to my place, I had to enter in my uh, network it showed no network i had to go uh select the network i had to enter in the wi-fi password by th- through the remote app and then it was authorized uh to be on the network here but that that's one of those curious things there's like you can't trigger that same bluetooth thing again apparently um i'm sure if you like hard reset the entire device you probably could <laughs> why didn't you do that joe <laughs> yeah if you're like taking this to an event or something like that like i know a lot of people take apple tvs to like uh, business meetings or something so they can use it to airplay things um uh like you you would have to enter in the password every single time and there's no remote app to do that quickly uh and there's no way to do that fast pairing thing like on the spot so that that, that's just kind of a a very strange omission you think it'd be like hey i don't have like a network i recognize around me are you sure you don't want to like set up a new one with your iphone but whatever i feel like setting up apple devices now is like death by a thousand cuts like that's what any kind of Apple device that I have used in the last year, as the as they are becoming more and more complex as a company, there's just all these tiny little things yeah. you have to do, but they add up. Like there was that, um, there, I think there was a tweet floating around where it's showing like it's like 47 steps or something like that to set up a new iPhone. Yeah. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's it was the like iOS four setup, which is three screens, and then it's the current setup where you're you're asked all of these different questions. And I I've heard from people because we complained about then, and one of the things I heard from people was, well, this is all because of security. Apple doesn't want to have some you know golden ticket that that you can have access to that uh, unlocks everything because at that point there there's some security issues. And and I, I, to that I would say, okay, Apple decided that it's going to hang its hat on security and privacy, but it also hangs its hat on user experience, right? And this is one of those cases where one, if that's, if that's the reason one is in, is in the way of the other. And, um, I'm sorry, but this is Apple. The user experience needs to win and they need to, if they want to keep it secure, which they should, they need to find a way to make it have a good user experience that saying, well, security or privacy as a reason why there's bad user experience. It's not an excuse. It's got to be better. And I'm encouraged by the fact that they seem to be trying to make it better, at least on this Apple TV with that initial pairing thing. But my, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the iPhone, my gut feeling is that the iPhone, iCloud authentication stuff is so gnarly behind the scenes that there are lots of cases where the left hand just doesn't know what the right hand is doing and their default has been, oh, I'm going to just throw up another password dialogue here. 
and I get them, you know, we all get them all the time. It's not just on setup, but it's like all the time I get these, put your iCloud password in. It's like, why am I doing that? What, why, what has happened that means I need to put my iCloud password in again? And on setup, it's even worse. So this is a challenge for Apple. I hope that they, I hope that they recognize it and that the, that, that little pairing attempt at the beginning of the Apple TV process is, a, is an indication that they are working to make this easier. Because, yeah, it needs to be a lot simpler. It should be, un, uh, you know, think about the attention they put into boxes right think about the attention apple puts into the unboxing experience yeah. all of the all of the things they do with the cardboard and the the printing on the boxes and and the, the feeling you know you take you open the box and then the, the device is wrapped in there and they've got the little bundle with the with the the user guide and all of that stuff is in there and apple has like apple does unboxing better than anybody right um, and then you plug it in and that attention to detail honestly isn't there for the setup and this is a case where their hardware or their supply chain side is in order and they're making great hardware and they're putting it in great boxes. And then they've got their their software and services are letting the product down. Yeah. And I, to go uh, reinforce something you said about the, the, the uh, security and uh, privacy, uh, when you set up the device, there's a location setting screen. Um, where it's asking if it's all right uh, for app, uh, applications and the operating system to use your location. And it's sort of like iOS, except it's sort of vague. It's not like, it It seems like a one-time authorization. And so I was like, no, I wonder if I'll be prompted at some point. I still haven't been prompted to enter in that location for anything at all, but I was very curious why they had like phrased it in such a vague manner. And uh, another thing is like you're signing in with one ID on this device and you have to go into a screen to swap to another ID. So if you're using this on a TV in your family, uh, almost everyone's going to be using whatever ID is on that device uh, at the time. So whoever the account that is, dad, mom, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, uh, that's the device that'll probably be signed in almost all the time and everybody will work out of that one device. And there's even the thing of like when you first enter your uh, password for a purchase, it'll ask, do you want to uh, be prompted for this all the time, every 15 minutes or never again? And so I, I of course, pick never again, but Same. I can just imagine. Yeah, I can just imagine like in a shared environment where you you uh, push the other thing, people accidentally buying things on other people's Apple IDs. Uh, children are notorious for this sort of thing. And it's just one of those uh, things where it's like they made it easier there uh in the way that you don't have to enter the password but that's because entering the password is so terrible but the end result is you're also not really having that that filter control over like the yeah. purchase experience anymore right weirdly um, it makes more sense for me to have that pop up on my iphone which is my personal device than the apple tv which is a shared device well you know um amazon lets you put in a, a code for yeah. purchases that's mm -hmm. not your password and so, you know, you authenticate with them, and that's a, that, that's ideally a high-security password that you're using, your Amazon password. And then you get to set a code for, for purchases on their devices and or on other devices, actually. It's like it's your purchase code across all the apps that Amazon uses where you can purchase things, because I get it on my TiVo, too. And it's like a, di a digit code on my TiVo, so it's really easy. I can just put in the numbers. But it would be very easy to set something like that up, um, I think, and uh, but Apple instead, it's sort of like either you buy everything or you get to enter in your password, and that's not that's not good. Or you just hold down on the Siri button. You say, "My voice is my passport. Uh, verify me." Please verify me. All right, guys, let me take a break here uh, because then we can carry on talking about all the things that we love and hate about the Apple TV. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Okay. Give us a, give us. We need a break. We're gonna we're gonna get, get some air. 
while you uh while you give us a break. Thanks, Mike. No problem. This episode is brought to you by (laughs) Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price that you will find in stores. The mattress industry is such a strange one. The way that you buy mattresses currently is so weird. You like go to a store that has beds in them and then you sit on one of the beds for a few minutes. Maybe you lay down with all your clothes on and your shoes on. Yeah, it's a simulated sleep for at least five, no, it's not even five minutes, for like 30 seconds before you feel really weird. And then you're like, right, I'm going to sleep on this one for the next 10 years. That is crazy making. Why would you want to do that? And that is what Casper is here to solve. They have revolutionized the mattress industry of a new experience, a new way to buy mattresses. And they're also cutting the cost of dealing with these resellers and showrooms and passing those savings directly to you. This is what you do. You go to casper.com slash upgrade and you check out what they've got there. You find the mattress that you like. Their mattresses are really great. Um, They have a brand new technology that they have developed for long-lasting supportive comfort and resilience. They combine premium latex foam with memory foam. It's a new hybrid mattress that gives you just the right sink and just the right bounce. These two technologies come together so perfectly for better nights and brighter days. You take a look at their offerings. You look at their great Made in America mattresses, which start at just $500 for a twin, $750 for a full-size, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. Usually, mattresses cost well over $1,500, but these are such great prices, and they are all made in America. Once you've chosen the one that you want, you can order it to your home, and it will come in a lovely little box, which is kind of impossibly small, and you open the mattress, and it breathes itself back to life again, and you get to sleep on this mattress at home, in your bed, in your normal kind of pajamas and stuff like that, for 100 days. And within those 100 days, if you do not like it, you will get a free return on that mattress. It is delivered to you for free. You can try it out for 100 days, risk-free. Send it back if you don't like it. But I'm sure that you're going to love it. This is a brand new way to buy mattresses. I know that Jason has a Casper and he's very happy with it. Am I correct Mm -hmm. in saying that, Mr. Snell? Yes, you are. I have the queen size. It's very nice. Well, look at that. Beautiful. This is the way you should be buying a mattress for your own home. And listeners of this show can get a lovely $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash upgrade and using the code upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. Make sure that you check the site for details. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, let's talk about the things we actually like about this device, right? Because we spent a lot of time complaining about it. Um, Jason, what is kind of speaking to you as a, a thing that you enjoy, some things that you enjoy about the new Apple TV? I, I mean, I really like what they did with the interface. I think I think this is a fun interface. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the little floaty. It's very beautiful. It really is a very, very beautiful interface. Like top to bottom, uh, I think it's really great. Like I also love the way the App Store looks in the same same vein. Yeah, I think I think it's a nice sort of rethink. I mean, it's been so long. It's been since like the year after the second gen model came out when they did the they did a refresh, and this it it echoes it, but it it uh is it's a little bit different. I like I loved moving the moving all the apps around. The fact that the top row, which is basically like the dock, um, you can have. Uh, you can take Apple stuff out of it and put your mm-hmm. apps that you want in it. So, you know, I can put Netflix and Hulu up there 
and uh, and HBO Go, and that that's great. I, I like that a lot. Um, playing games on it, it's funny how some and, and these are the ones that are on the Apple TV, right? But you don't think about how limited the interaction is on, on some iOS games until you play them with a remote control on an Apple TV. Like I played Alto's Adventure for how long? And it w- and about a minute of playing it on the Apple TV, I was like, wow, this this literally is just a uh, you know a one button interface for this entire game like mm-hmm. you know you've got that whole complex touch screen with all the gesture support and uh really all you're doing is tapping and so you can you can put that on the click so i i, I just wanted to call it the interface i think even the stock um some of the apps i used are video apps like the nbc sports live extra that are essentially using the stock kind of like library that comes with um that, that comes with uh, the Apple provides to developers and uh, those look great. <laughs> so I was impressed by that. And then Netflix, I wanted to mention just because I think it's an interesting, I was wondering what Netflix was going to look like. And it's not quite like the gen- sort of generic Netflix app that's on all other connected devices that Netflix is on. Um, that is basically a web app, but it's pretty close, right? It, it, it feels like an interesting um and I think actually the Apple TV interface is very similar to what Netflix was doing anyway. And so uh, I was, it, it fit, it seemed to fit with what Netflix's brand is all about and what the Apple TV looks like and, and not be some weird mishmash. So, um, so yeah, I, I, that, that's the number one thing I wanted to call out is, you know, it, it, it's responsive. It, uh, it, it definitely feels faster to load everything than the old one did. Um, but I just, I like, the, I like the interface touches. I like the sounds. I think they did a really good job and I was as skeptical as, as I was about using the trackpad. Um, for most cases, I think once you get used to it, the trackpad is, I see, I see why it's there. It's kind of fun. Uh, a directional button probably would have been fine. Um, I did very quickly, uh, recognize that if you tap to the right or left side of the uh, of the trackpad, you can, basically you can use the trackpad as a D button by tapping. This is a this is a, a tap to click, which I had to learn because I'm not a tap to click person on trackpads. Mm-hmm. But it has tap to click uh, D buttons. You can you can basically uh, tap uh, up down left right on the remote and uh, and it'll it'll move you up down left right. Uh, also you can be sure you hold the remote in the right. I actually really love the remote. Uh, I love how it looks. I think it, I think it's a cool looking remote and it feels pretty good. It's definitely some great Apple design, but yeah, but as everybody has pointed out it, uh, the problem with it is it's it, cause Johnny Ive wants everything to be symmetrical is that it's symmetrical. And that means you can't tell in the dark, whether you're holding it upside down or right side up and that, that, that it should be asymmetrical in some way so that you can orient it, orient better in the dark. Yeah, like the old one had a big circle thing, right? That was the button. It was easy to see and hold. Yeah, like the TiVo remote is like shaped like a peanut, but it's an asymmetrical... Well, actually, they made... I've got a couple of them that are symmetrical, and they're terrible. But the asymmetrical TiVo remotes are great because in the dark, you can always tell which end is up, and that's important. Yeah, I, I actually have more slightly more <laughs> negative feelings about the remote. <laughs> I, I, I hate... Yeah, I know. I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, I don't like the metal on the back. Uh, it, it makes my hands feel clammy, especially if I'm doing something like playing a game. Um, the uh, like you're saying, the symmetricalness of it, it's terrible. I, I have in the short time that I've had it, I have picked it up the wrong way several times and gone to click the completely shiny surface and been like, nope, that's not it. Uh, also, if you have it like on the couch arm and it slides off into the couch, 
uh, and then you go to fish around for it, you're going to accidentally hit the touchpad and drag your finger across the TV somewhere mm. and click on something you didn't mean to or skip around in the movie you're watching, um, which I don't enjoy. Uh, I think that that is actually one of the things that makes it a worse remote than the previous remote where you couldn't accidentally trigger it unless you actually pushed on it. Um, the uh, uh, the other thing about it is that I, I, I see the functionality of it uh, in terms of like all of the things that it can do but like you're saying, it ultimately feels like it's been boiled down to basically yeah. do all of the things that the D-pad interface can do, uh, and, and like a couple other extra things, like having a dedicated Siri button and having the uh, uh, yeah the I don't know how to describe it the TV button um, the uh, I forget the ex- exact term for that one uh, and having the uh, play pause, which if you have to actually switch from what you're doing in certain applications where you're sliding around on the time slider and you want to hit play again. Um, I think I was in crackle or something like that. And I needed to like shimmy down to hit the play pause instead of clicking. Uh, it was weird. And the uh, volume's fine, but it works over IR and the uh, power does the weird thing over HDMI. Um, and when I was at my uh, boyfriend's using his TV, the power, uh, the, the sleep that it asks you for when you when you hold down on the button it 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 turned off his tv but wouldn't turn it back on again yes that happened to me too yeah and when i went to my place it works for off and on i have no idea why that is (laughs) and so it's one of those things where it's like you guys spent a lot of time thinking how you wouldn't have to uh have like all this universal remote stuff, but it would be like smart enough. And it's like, but it, it just kind of isn't exactly smart enough if it can't turn on and off a television. Uh, and the, it, it, it also doesn't really like completely replace everything you might want to do with your television set. Um, so it, it, you still wind up having to like fish around for other things. I think it, it, it's sort of annoying. Like you can't, uh, I couldn't switch the the input um, with it. Uh, so, like, if you want to go back to watching like uh, another television input, then then it wasn't working for anything. So that that's ultimately another reason why it's kind of annoying. It's like I wish it would do more things. Uh, and I, I I think about all the expense that goes into the remote, and I'm just like, could it have maybe been a slightly cheaper device if it was just a D pad? Um, versus this because i don't think it's a particularly good game controller uh and i don't think it's a very good television remote so it's it's one of those uh quandaries where it's like it's a beautiful device and it has great build quality but i i i, I really wish it was something else i i can confirm by the way that um i've got one of the original uh, apple remotes the little uh, white ones and it totally works with it <laughs> which is which is kind of hilarious. So if you want to, de- if you you know, it'll work on your iPod Hi-Fi and on your brand new Apple TV. The ones that used to come like magnetically attached to the IMAX when front row was a thing. Yeah, yeah, it totally works. Wow. And uh, also, you can program in other universal remotes to work with your television set, like my Logitech Harmony, because it will listen on infrared. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just like, which is nice. One of those things where it's like, so it the interface has been boiled down, so it'll work with any basic remote. So then what's so fancy? What is the requirement of having the fancy remote? I, I, don't, I don't know. To play games, not very play, well. Play games. It's, it's, it's really terrible at playing games. Or maybe I'm just terrible at using it to play games. But uh, like Alto's Adventure was probably one of the better ones. But like you're saying, it's basically a button. Um, well, no, they, the... they screwed up because you have to click to jump, which is not good for timing. You should be tapping to jump. 
So Alto, they actually screwed that up. Like Cannonball, they nailed it. It's tap to jump, but Alto's eventually click. And you, so, like, if you are trying to hit something at just the right time, you're just a millisecond or so off, which can make the difference. So, really, you should be tapping, not not clicking, in my opinion. Well, like Crossing Road, Crossing Road is, I think, is is much better on um much better with uh, a D button. Yeah. Than than with than with the trackpad because because you can cl- you have to click to go forward in Crossy Road, but you can or you can swipe, but you have to swipe to go sideways, and it's not a very good mechanic. And the cl- and the and the swipe to go forward is not as uh, efficient. So I'm I, what I'm saying is I'm much worse at Crossy Road than I am on the iPad. I I am also worse. Uh, the swiping gesture i also keep trying to do diagonal like it is on the screen but, but it's not it's not diagonal in my hand it's driving me a little little wacky uh with that but uh the uh uh one of the worst uh, i've only played a few but a terrible game i think is actually the disney infinity uh battle of yavin uh star wars game thing branding experience that you can get for free <laughs> And if anyone has an Apple TV, I highly recommend you download it because it's sort of fascinating to see this thing because uh, it is sort of poorly made and you're flying through different things. There's weird loading screens. I had it crash on me when it tried to load uh, content, so I don't know what that was, but it worked fine after that. Uh, it, I was like clipping through parts of the Death Star, which is not good, and uh, the controls are just miserable. You have to hold it horizontally in your hands um, and the touchpad is underneath your right thumb, uh, underneath your left thumb. And uh, you're using controls uh, from the volume and ev- everything else with your uh, right thumb. It's 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 very weird. I don't I don't find it comfortable because uh, it's too small to to hold like that, and it's very imprecise. And so it kept flying into things and couldn't aim at anything. I also tried a uh, uh, Manticore Rising. Um, I had seen uh, people raving about that on Twitter, um, and that I is a gyroscope controlled one. Uh, and I found that I was just sort of spinning my wrist around trying to find enemies <laughs> that I, it was it was too uh, inexact for targeting most of the time. So it was just sort of the, uh, I don't know, wrist spinning equivalent of button mashing. Uh, I, I haven't found anything that I really think is like a better game on the TV than it is it, on iOS, uh, which yeah. is sort of disappointing, I think. So most people that I've spoken to that are having good gaming experiences are using the Nimbus controller. So they bought the third-party Nimbus controller, but I think that is blank. Um, yeah, so you don't have to beep that. I think that is yeah. blank because <laughs> it is. It's ridiculous. Apple should have made yeah. one. I mean, I go, but I'll keep doing. I'll keep talking about this over and over and over again. Like, if they really believed in gaming, there should be a controller that Apple makes built in. But it's just it's, it proves the point, right? Which is why I brought it up that like people that are enjoying video games on the Apple TV are using a real controller because this thing is not one. This remote is not a game controller except for Beat Sports, which works really, really well. I haven't tried yeah. that. Uh, but I... I would suggest it. Okay. I really... I, I, I'm just sort of frustrated with the notion that you have to buy a third-party controller, which isn't an Apple device. And sure. it's not even it's not even like Apple sells the TV and they're like, oh, and here's our game controller you can buy for extra $50 or whatever. Uh because that would seem somewhat more palatable than just like mm-hmm. just take your chances and buy whatever uh and especially when you know that the game itself is boiled down to work with basically this remote uh so that this is the bare minimum 
of the requirements uh, is is this this thing that it ships with. So then it's like, well, why is it why is it so bad at at, at these things? Jason, what do you? Let's talk about, what do we like? We need we need more oh, okay. things that we like. No, I, I like I said, I like the interface. I like the sounds. Um, I think that it's more responsive. I think having the apps that have put in the work to be different uh, you know the apple tv in the old day with the channels right those were all really generic and sort of set up with uh with text files and and uh you know it was it was like an xml schema kind of thing and now these are apps and the the apps that are taking advantage of that there's some really nice features i i really did enjoy uh looking at a bunch of the different video apps and seeing the ones that felt uh like the NBC Sports Live Extra, their app on the iOS is actually not that great. It like puts a banner ad down at the bottom of the screen and stuff like that, and it's really awful. But the their Apple TV app is very nice and it works really well. Um, and and uh, I did uh, I looked at a motion comic and made fire at once I got it downloaded, and uh, I I thought that was a really interesting experience. To to maybe not my favorite uh, way to read a comic book, but I thought that they did a I thought that that putting their motion comics on the TV made a lot of sense. Uh, that that's an interesting place to try that stuff. Uh, so yeah, I I think I'm encouraged by the fact that some of the apps look really good. That over the course of the next six months, that uh, or year, that people are are uh, getting their getting their legs on what an Apple TV app looks like. That we're going to see some uh, even better stuff. But I think I think it does mean that the even the basic video watching experience is going to be better. I I will say. I'm a little surprised that Apple, um, sorry, turning negative slightly here again, but <laughs> I'm a little surprised that Apple doesn't preload or aggressively suggest um, certain apps. Like, you know, because the old Apple TV came with all the channels turned on, and that's probably overkill. But it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for them to say, you know, here are some video services uh, select the ones you'd like to have and we'll download them automatically right now. I think that might not be so bad because to go to have part of your onboarding experience be I have to go to the app store and download Netflix and I have to go to the app store and download HBO Go and I have to go to the app store again and download Hulu instead of just sort of being either having them preloaded uh, or having them uh, kind of like prompt you to do a really quick auto download of those. I think that would probably be better than 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 what they offer. I also wanted to say I I like the services that put up a little code and have you go to their webpage yeah. to log in because it's a YouTube yeah because it's much easier to do that. Hulu did that. Um, HBO Go did that. Major League Baseball did that. And NBC Sports Live Extra did that. And the best thing about that is the ones that have cable uh, or satellite TV or TV provider verification. Um, when you go in your browser, whether it's on your iPhone or on your Mac. Um, it, it, uh, once the, once your cable provider sets that cookie, um, the next one, you don't even log into your cable provider cause it already, your browser already knows your username and your password or, or it's already got the cookie. And so that was really kind of easy to do. And although it's not ideal, you know, it would be nice if there was some magic way for me to just sort of speak to the TV and log into those things. I thought that was better than what I had to do with Netflix, which is slowly peck out my uh, email address and then slowly peck out my Netflix password because that that sucked. Yeah, I well, I, I in terms of like preloading things, uh, it is a little barren. Um, but they do they do a good job of like putting all of the things that people might want in that top row inside of the App Store. Uh, 
one of the things I'm surprised that they don't expose, though, is they have the purchase history. And if you go to the purchase tab in the App Store, you can see all the iOS apps that also are universal apps for the TV. Yes. Uh, which is many, almost all of the, basically all of the media things are, are mm-hmm. shared between the two, as far as I could find. Uh, except for, you know, Amazon Prime, whatever. Uh, but the... Uh, in terms of that experience, I, w- I wonder if it would almost be better during the setup process to be like, hey, I found all this stuff you own. <laughs> would you like these to also be on your TV? And you'd be like, yes, that would be kind of nice because I'm probably using exactly the same channels on my uh, uh, television set as I'm using on my phone. Um, I, and I do have to kind of disagree with the activation thing. Like, I wish there was a single sign-on uh, for activating all of these i agree with that i should be able to put my concast username and password into the apple tv and have it validate everything that uses the comcast validation right yeah i mean if it was just another field in itunes and you're just like hey do this everywhere because <laughs> i mean apple's totally fine being the middleman for this stuff most of the time so it's sort of surprising that they leave it up to all of these uh vendors to come up with their own solutions where it requires you to use another device inside of your house to go connect to this thing uh, every single time you want to do it, which is actually really one of, like you're saying, uh, Mike, one of those paper cuts, uh, is just that every app you download that requires it is individual, uh, entry for that. So every, every single one you have to go to whatever slash activate, uh, Flickr slash activate, uh, y- you know, YouTube, you have to activate as well. Um, th- that, that sort of experience is unpleasant, I think. It would be nice if it was sort of bundled together, or at least you could share the credentials from the iOS apps that you have that are uh, universal binaries um, when you're doing that initial setup. That w- that would be, I think, more pleasant than uh, the experience of having to to do that to stop whatever you're doing every single time and then go enter it. Uh, maybe in a couple months, you know, once all that stuff's just sitting there, then it won't feel like a burden anymore because um, you're not uh, we're in a compressed time scale here where we're downloading things and talking about it immediately and of course one of the first things we're going to notice is that the activation process is a little messy uh, but I, I don't know if it's going to continue to feel like a burden later <sighs> I'll say something nice I promise okay. I, I, like, like Jason I like the interface it's very pretty um, it is a little sparse in some places uh, where more info often terminates at, before the end of a sentence uh, for some of the descriptions of games and channels but positive joe positive okay it's beautiful to look at uh universal search um is very nice uh most of the time um it 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 shows me netflix first uh over itunes if it's available there um and you can even say things like show me all the star trek stuff on on netflix and it'll show you exactly what is available which turns out they took almost all of the movies away except for nemesis which is so great um (laughs) but the the uh the experience of doing that i think is great except for when you have a universal search entry and it shows you the screen with your search results and then um you can click to go to itunes and it looks exactly like the same screen and you're kind of like i wish you guys had differentiated that just slightly a little bit but uh but it but it's it, it is far superior to the old experience of searching for anything uh so so that that is something that i that i I feel very positive about. Um, I, I and there are only a couple cases where it was like certain homophones would mess it up or like proper names of things, like Wrath of Khan, and it's Wrath of Khan C O N, and it's like I can't find anything. It's like you could use some context clues yeah. uh, to figure out that all of the other words that I said that you recorded correctly probably match up to something. 
Uh, I, I was searching for the uh, UK spy, uh, the TV series called Spy, which is a comedy. And that was funny uh, because I had to, it's on Hulu. And I did, I did a search that was, uh, you know, find spy. Uh, and, and it's like, I, you know, I hear a bunch of spy movies on iTunes. I'm like, that's not what I'm looking for. And I finally, but I was able to, I think my third try, I said, um, show me the TV series spy. And it popped up a list of TV series with Spy in the title, the second of which was the TV series Spy. So I got, it's some of it is like, okay, how do I target this and how, what, what is it listening for and all of those things for the, for the series searches. But, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a great feature. And the fact that other video um, apps can tie into it so that, you know, if I've got Showtime and HBO Go and Hulu and Netflix and uh, you know, and 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 they're all in there. Then when I search for a movie or a show, it doesn't. I don't need to know, um, like, oh, it's it's actually because I've done this right where it's like this movie's on HBO this month, and I can stream it. But uh, instead, I rent it from iTunes because I'm a dummy. Uh, but it's really because I've I've only trained myself to look in like two places. So being able to do that right from here and say, oh, look, I can get that for HBO, which I think you can't do right now, but I think that that that's coming. That more sources are being added. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and I also uh, uh, like that you can use it for characters as well. Um, so you can say, like, show me uh, stuff with Mickey Mouse or show me stuff with uh, Captain Kirk, and then it'll show you those titles uh, that, that feature that character uh, rather than just being constricted to the actor. So you can see Chris Pine movies and William Shatner movies. Um, it, it, it's just sort of a, an interesting feature. And the cases where it didn't work were so tiny that uh, I, I, I overall give it a, an, a, a, a standing ovation for that. Yeah, I should say HBO Go is in the is in the Universal Search now. Um, some of the other apps will be added later. So if you search for The Wire, it'll say those are on iTunes and on HBO Go. It's pretty cool. So yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of good things about it. I, I did want to mention that um, I'm very sad uh, that the photos support in it is essentially the same as the old Apple TV, where it'll it'll show you the photo stream. And it'll show you your shared albums, but it won't actually show you your iCloud photo library. Like, I've got all of these albums in my iCloud photo library. They're not available. Only if I put them in the sharing screen does it, um, will will they show up. And that's uh, that seems dumb to me. That was like a major photo initiative of Apple was this iCloud photo library. Uh, and uh, the Apple TV just basically doesn't support it. It's it's sort of supporting the stuff that was already there before they introduced iCloud Photo Library. Oh, well, that's sort of go, goes hand in hand with their music support here on the device as well. Yeah, I have a theory use. about this. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a a tipster by the name of Carlos uh, on Connected who informed us that this was the case, right? That music just didn't work. And it seems like <laughs> that all of these services and teams are just, they're all developing their products in silos, right? So like the photos team's over there, the music team's over there, the TV team is over there. And like, they don't know about each other until the products launch because of the yeah. secrecy stuff. And then it ends up that the TV comes out without without proper support for two of Apple's newest services because they couldn't talk to each other beforehand. That's the way I read this. It it well, supports music, but you can't search or control with the voice search music. It's like the music team had to build an app yeah, like every other developer, which is madness. A third-party app. Yep. I was happy to see that the computer um, feature it still exists, that you can use your... Yeah. Uh, your your sharing home sharing 
Yeah, and and go to the computer thing and actually see the iTunes that's on the computer. That that uh, I was happy about that because I wasn't sure they 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 cared enough to do that, but they did. Yeah, it, and it works uh, yeah. very very well, uh, very quickly. Uh, another thing I should say positively is also uh, in terms of like loading things and and speed. Like even like loading up the album art off of my computer, it was doing that pretty fast. Uh, and in terms of like music, while it's annoying all the things that are wrong especially if you are an apple music subscriber i am i'm not um the fact that it just immediately has access to your uh uh, purchases in itunes and will just stream right away is great um in terms of like a just a general experience searching for things and whatever like uh, as annoying as you would expect but uh just just having it there is is uh handy you talk about the speed. I, I think it takes some getting used to, but I, I, I think it's very clever what they're doing with their transition animation, which is that, uh, you know, you're instead of <laughs> the classic Apple TV transition, which is a black screen with a circle spinning around in it for an unknown amount of time. Instead, they've got this thing where it's like the, you know, it's the blurred out background that kind of fades in and fades back out again. And uh, yes, that is a, tr- a magic trick. It is trickery. It is trying to fool you into thinking things are happening when they're not actually happening. But behind the scenes, that can cover... It's The device is fast enough that that can cover a lot of pauses, like just that moment. And I'm sure John Syracuse, if he were here, would say, it's extra time. I don't want the extra time. You should just jump to it as soon as as soon as soon it loads. But for me, I, I, I felt like that was a, a, a better way of kind of bridging the transition where you give me something to look at. It's kind of pretty. It feels like it's all kind of of a piece it's all flowing into the next thing and you know i I like that you still will see occasionally the spinning circle if it you know if it gets to the end it's like nope still loading things you'll see that but i i thought it was a nice touch one thing i don't don't like about the uh (laughs) the blurry thing um it, it is nice as you say but except that uh uh, when you blur things and have like a smooth transition from one color to another color or one value to another value, um, that works differently across different TVs. And you're going to get banding artifacts on different TVs. Uh, and I've noticed that both on my TV as well as my uh, uh, boyfriend's TV. Like, you just get like a couple of times. You just get like a nice little like band of different color uh, where <laughs> it just drops off not smoothly. And I'm just like, I-, I wish that was just like if you had done solid colors, you wouldn't have that problem. But it wouldn't be as visually interesting, I suppose. Right. Uh that that that's just a minor little little tiny nitpick. Super super positive show, right, Mike? Well, because the thing is, like, I <laughs> I am I am, I get annoyed, right? Like, and there's many things that I'm annoyed about, but I'm I'm just very conscious of the fact that I feel like I'm complaining a lot at the moment. But it feels like everybody is, and and I wonder what it is. Like, is do we put? And I believe it's probably because we put Apple under a real microscope. Um, because we ex- we expect greatness from them at all times, uh-huh. right? Which is why we do this and why we treat them so harshly and and with such uh, criticism over the work that they do. Well, it's also that they put themselves on that pedestal when they say they've solved TV and that's the future point. TV is apps. <laughs> so if they if they uh, don't talk it up, then I probably think we would have slightly lower expectations like when they said it was a hobby before and it was just like okay well this is good for being a hobby and then now it's like we're we're we we got it going we got it solved here is spend 150 dollars on this yeah, uh th- on. three years three years in the making <laughs> yeah 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 that is that is an issue that they make the marketing so grandiose it puts a massive target on them 
so on Twitter, I, I after I ranted about my setup problems, I mentioned, uh, you know, I, I basically said, so in short, this is a 1.0 product and it feels like it, but on the positive side, there's room for improvement. And I had a bunch of people who responded and said, I think you... Um, I think you shouldn't be making excuses for Apple. And I'm like, uh, saying that Apple's big new Apple TV product is very clearly a 1.0, I'm, and there's lots of room for improvement, I'm not sure you understood the subtext there, which is this should be, because people are like, more like a 3.0 or a 4.0, right? And I was like, no, mm-mm, no, this doesn't <laughs> build on what they've done before. This no. is a 1.0 again, and it feels like it. The good side of that is that these are things, I think there's a lot of strength here that can that that can be improved upon, and I, I, there's a lot about this product that I really like, but it's, you know, it's got some rough edges and it's kind of painful to use parts of it and i feel like there are things that apple can do to address a lot of these things and hopefully will in the next few months uh but it does it it absolutely feels like a brand new thing that is not um i'm not going to say not done not ready uh although some of it feels i suspect like like with the photo stuff and the music stuff, it's like, why isn't that there? And the answer is because we needed to ship it now and we weren't ready for that stuff. That will come in time, but it's not there now. So that's what a 1.0 product is, right? It's like not, maybe parts of it aren't finished and it's got some bugs and people who buy it right now are going to have to deal with some of that stuff. I think that's just the reality of this product. This is not, you know, a refinement of the last generation Apple TV. This is a this is a new, new product on a new platform with a whole lot of potential, but it's a 1.0 and uh, you know judge accordingly yeah I, I i completely agree with you especially since i think uh in many ways this is sort of like when they reset uh, some of their applications in terms of like uh oh oh it does it's the same name but it doesn't do some of these old things and it does some of these other new things that are great and so it's it sort of like walks that line uh especially you know we talk about remote app we talk about like there's a lot of stuff that's similar but slightly different, uh, and it is a hard reset in terms of like, well, now there are applications and it's a different operating system, so they worked hard to get it up to being able to do most of what the old one did. But, uh, but it, it, I mean, most like almost all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I, I especially, I think the biggest missing piece is a unified content strategy. Uh, for some other kind of subscription service like the over-the-top service we've seen them talk about, like Plus Movies, uh, CBS president always talks about. Um, you know, if you want to have like a secret, don't tell it to him because um, he'll just <laughs> talk to Kara Swisher about it uh, whenever he feels like it. <laughs> Plus Movies doesn't care. He just yeah, doesn't he, care. He just doesn't care about your secrets. You know how you know how little he cares? He, he cares so little that he's going to use a new Star Trek show to sell his uh, online video streaming service. That's how little he cares. Plus Movies doesn't care. So, Mike, are you really happy about the number of times we've mentioned Star Trek on the show? I'm so <laughs> pleased that you were here for this. If you weren't here, Joe, then he'd just be mentioning it to me, and then I would just be sitting here quietly about it. Ah, well, that's no fun. So at least Jason got got to have his nerdy nerd some way. That's the only way. It's the whole reason I'm here. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me at joe-steel.com or uh, at Joe Steel on Twitter. And I have a podcast with Dan Sturm uh, on the Incomparable Network. Um, <gasps> yeah, this is total nepotism. That's why I'm here. Um, uh, so <laughs> called Defocused. Yeah, it's called Defocused. No, no banding artifacts on that though, because uh, nope. it's an audio podcast. But yeah, uh, maybe there's audio banding. Listen carefully. <laughs> there might be. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Thank you for your thoughts on the Apple TV. 
There you go, Joe Steele. I'm I'm glad we we don't have guests that often. Although I'd like to have some uh, more often, but I've been wanting Joe to talk about the new Apple TV for so long because he has so many opinions about yes Apple TV. So I'm glad I'm glad we uh you know we all got to use the product over the weekend and talk about it a little bit. Well, the good thing about our guests is they they're guests for reasons, right? Yeah, exactly, and and not that often. I think I think he might be our fourth, third, something like that. Not not very many. Who knows? Nobody knows. Nope. But you know what time it is right now? Uh, is it time for hashtag Ask Upgrade? <laughs> lasers, lasers. <laughs> and who is the sponsor of this week's Ask Upgrade? Uh, it's it's who you'd expect. Who else would would sponsor hashtag Ask uh, Ask Upgrade this week? But stamps dot com. I uh, I have some boxes, Mike. Right here next to me, that are uh, about to go out when my uh, when my letter carrier comes to my door, uh, and they they've all been uh, uh, paid for and the shipping labels output from my printer, from my Mac, using stamps.com. Um, it, it's a it's an easier way to mail letters and packages. Uh, you can mail and ship anything with stamps.com anywhere with your own very own computer or printer nothing special needed not even special paper or special labels you can just print it out on regular paper anyone can do it you click you print and you mail it uh, with stamps.com you can buy and print official u.s postage right from your desk it does all the work for you uh, they'll even give you a digital scale it's this usb uh, scale it c- calculates exact postage you can use it standalone you can plug it into your computer and it'll actually fill out the form for you with the postage with the weight of the thing that is on the scale it's pretty cool any letter any package any class of mail uh you can even go and get the uh the standard boxes at the post office and bring them home and there you can say i'm using the standard box and it'll set it up that way too so uh pretty much anything you can think of setup is easy you'll be printing your very own postage in minutes you never have to go to the post office again never never and it costs only 15.99 a month that's it you don't have to make a long-term multi-year commitment like a postage meter might require. Somebody might come to your 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 house or your small business and say, I'd like to sell you on this postage meter. But there are a lot of catches with that. With Stamps.com, you don't have to make any of those commitments. There are no catches like that. There are no markups on postage. You'll even get special postage discounts with Stamps.com. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com. You can use the code UPGRADE for a special offer. You get a four-week trial, and there's a $110 bonus offer, including postage and the digital scale so don't wait go to stamps.com before you do anything else click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the name of our show upgrade at stamps.com enter upgrade and thank you to stamps.com for sponsoring this week's edition of hashtag ask upgrade your gay would like to know do either of us use screen protectors on our iphones we had this question on connected recently um and it always surprises me when when I hear people ask this stuff because I would never put a protect a screen protector on my phone. I do wear a case, which is kind of interesting, right? That I do one and not the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the case kind of protects my screen in the way that it doesn't let it shatter. Um, I'd never worry about my phone scratching, which is I assume the reasons that people use screen protectors. I've never had a scratch on an iPhone, no, um, and I just don't like the way that the screen. I've never liked the way that the screens feel with those protectors on them. My, my my understanding is my understanding this is this is the material science that has really improved on the iPhone is that these screens although they will still shatter if you drop them in the right way my understanding is that they they don't scratch 
as easily as they ever had before. And that there used to be, people used to do iPhone screen scratch tests. PC World used to do it when I work with those guys, uh, where they would take some keys and you know awful stuff and try to scratch it up. And earlier iPhones could scratch fairly easily. And you know if you wonder why nobody does scratch tests of phones so much anymore, it's because they don't really scratch so much so i don't either i don't like the feel of them i don't like the having to put them on and the like little bubbles uh that you can get in there i used to have screen protectors on my, when i had the palm uh uh, uh what was a trio that one had a screen protector but that was like a, a resistive touch screen it was not a it was not a very good uh touch screen and and it was pretty uh fragile um and if you want like an anti-glare, I know there's some people who have real glare problems. Again, they've made a lot of headway in having glare be less of an issue on the iPhone. I know some people will do an anti-glare uh, uh, screen protector, but I've never felt the need for anything like that either. So no, I haven't. I think I tried one once for a couple of weeks, like years ago, and since then, not at all. So there you go. No screen protectors over here. Yeah. And I know that you can kind of get them, and they're, they're apparently like partly made from glass now, so they feel better, but... It's just not. Uh, yeah. It's just no, not something I would want. You know, when you use a screen protector, the time you use a screen protector is when you've got a slightly cracked screen. Yeah, to stop it from like destroying. Yeah, and so it'll still be usable for a while, and you can put a screen protector on there, and you can actually use it and not get uh, splinters of glass in your fingertips. I have had friends who have done that. Um, where their phone was still usable even though it had a crack across it, um, and and that that will kind of hold it together a little bit longer, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put one on a regular phone, no. Right, so next up in this week's Ask Upgrade is Wayne. <laughs> Wayne would like to know, what do you think of the possibilities of the Apple Pencil used in conjunction with the new Magic Trackpad? I, I mean, so I wanted to put this in because I've been using a Wacom as a input device for the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. Um, because I'm, I've mentioned this before, but like some RSI stuff, I'm just trying to mix up the stuff that I'm using. Um, and I think that that could be really nice if they work together, especially as this trackpad gets bigger. I mean, it would have to probably be bigger than this uh, to be used as a any kind of system that people would want to use, so you'd need a bigger trackpad. Um, but there is a potential there. I just find it very unlikely that Apple would make that product. Yeah, Um also, the Magic Trackpad is a you know it's got it's got pressure sensitivity built into it. The Apple Pencil has its own pressure sensitivity built into it. So now you've got two devices that are measuring the pressure separately. It doesn't sound like that's the right. It doesn't sound like that's the right way to go, for, to to me. No, I mean it's an interesting uh, thought experiment, but um, mm. I'm, I think Apple would say for the most reasons that people would want that, just get an iPad Pro, right? Because you think about drawing with it. Yeah, and I think on the Mac side, they're they're happy to have the third parties yeah. with uh, doing that. Yeah, Gary would like to know, Jason, you mentioned uh, about an upgrade that you did to your mom's computer. Could you reiterate that and maybe give a little bit more information about what you did? Yeah, so I uh, Gary asked, and I uh, I did what I could. I wrote a post last Friday on Six Colors, uh, answering Gary specifically. Wow. With. So how about how about that for service called New Life for an old MacBook Pro uh, that gives some of the details of it and uh, and so you can read that there. I, I had uh, 
I had uh, an interesting question from one of the readers about about that uh, story where they said, "Is there any reason why you bought all this all your stuff from Otherworld Computing and didn't you know go shop around and get the best deals because you know stores like that are going to have markup and all of that and there, there are cheaper models and you can you can get it." And I thought that was a really interesting point that I, I wanted to mention just here too, which is um, there was a time when I was happy to put in the research about here's exactly what the issues are with this particular model and the kinds of drives it needs and the kinds of drives it'll take and the ones it won't take. And, you know, and with some Mac models, that's complicated because there's like, you need to have the ones with the sensor or you need to have the ones with this kind of mounting bracket or things like that. That, that, that there's sometimes some unexpected complexity there. And, uh, and you, you know, you want to find the lowest price, but you want it to be a reputable product. You want it to be reliable. You know, is the seller somebody who's trustworthy? Is this, is the company that makes it is this a reliable reliable model um and uh, you know you do a lot you can do a lot of work and come up with the the right product and find it at the right price and save money there is no doubt about it i came to the point where i didn't want to do that anymore where I didn't want to fret about is this exactly the one that will work in my model, you know, or or am I reading this wrong because on eBay they sell five different versions of this, or on Amazon they're selling three different versions, and did I did I pick the right one or not? I've had it happen where I bought stuff and gotten it and gone, oh, this is the wrong one, um, and had to send it back, and then you have to get a return authorization number, and then you have to ship it and maybe go to the post office, and you know I don't like that, and I I just decided. <laughs> I, I I would call back to uh, to our sponsor. Um, I just de- I just decided I would I, I'm fine with paying a little bit more for a product that it's like I I've I've ordered from these guys before and it doesn't it's not just other world I mean there are, there are other there are plenty of other uh, resellers that that uh, are out there that sell stuff like this that you could go to but the point is. Um, I'm comfortable with them. I've ordered a bunch of stuff from them over the years. I've had ones that have failed that in the past that they've covered uh, easily under sent me a new version, uh, you know, under under their warranty. Um, so there's a level of trust there, um, and then they do the work to say what's compatible with what. So uh, this was a MacBook Pro 5,5, that this particular model, the mid-2009 MacBook Pro. And they have on their site, here's the SSDs that we've got that we certify with the 5,5. And here's a how-to guide about how to install it if you want to do that too. And I like that. I like the fact that they did that work. And I, and I don't have to worry about, um, oh, well, you thought that this was a compatible one, but it turns out that this model isn't compatible for some esoteric reason. And I just, yeah, I just kind of don't want to deal with it. So that this yeah. is the this is sort of one of those things about being a, a smart shopper on the internet is if you want to put in a lot of extra work, you can save money. And you just have to decide, do you want to put in the extra work or do you want to just have it be easy? And I'm yep. fine to pay more and have it be easy. And your mileage may vary. This is a straight up time money equation. To me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and there's some stress, too, because, you know, you order it from somebody on eBay, and it looks like it's legit, and they're 90% positive. So you're like, oh, it's probably fine, but you don't know where it's coming from or whether there's going to be an issue. And, uh, you know, that's that. There, so there's some of that, too, I think, where there's stress of, like, I'm, I'm ordering this from somebody. I, I don't actually know who they are and what it's what it's going to be like. So there's a little bit of that. But a lot of it is just the time that, you know, there are, there are like, iMac models that have weird... Uh, uh, temperature and I think maybe MacBook Pros too. Temperature sensor stuff and you know there's the oh well this enclosure will fit this but it won't fit that and there's just enough complexity there historically that um, it's kind of nice to be able to just say 
these guys say this one works. And so I'm going to buy that. So I thought it was a good question. He kind of couched it as like, are they a sponsor or something? It's like, no, no, they're not. I, I actually, I've written about them in the past and they used to be an advertiser, I think in Macworld back in the day, but you know, no, I just, as a Mac user, it, it became a lot easier to, to deal with uh, a company that was going to take care of all the compatibility issues. And so I just sort of, I, I just wanted it to be easy. So anyway, you can read that article. It'll be in the show notes. Yes, about of course. All the details of my mom's, uh, uh, my mom's old MacBook Pro, which now has a new home with somebody who will uh, who will use it with an SSD instead of the old spinning hard drive, and as a result, it is dramatically better. It is it has gone from being unusable to being usable again. So that's great. And finally, today, Robbie would like to know, Jason, I will ask this of you: Do you ever yes. think about how much your listeners or readers trust your judgment and how you can influence what they buy? For example, mice, keyboards, that kind of thing. Hmm. It's a great question. Absolutely. I, I remember talking to Andy and Echo about this years ago. It's like the uh, when I was at MacWorld, especially there was this. You know, you're writing you're writing a, a, a review or recommending a product. You are absolutely aware that people are going to be listening, um, and that you are influencing them. Uh, you're also aware that um, you don't control them, <laughs> so you can't just demand that they buy things. Uh, but you you have to be aware that you have that you're holding a, a megaphone that you you know you're holding a bullhorn and people can hear what you're saying and that there's a responsibility that comes along with that and sometimes the responsibility is just to explain and con- to contextualize what you're saying and I do that a lot where I say look I am not your typical user because of X but I use this product because I don't what I don't want to say is oh I use everybody should go to eBay and buy an iPod Hi-Fi right now because I love it and go buy them now right well no uh, what I'd say is I have an iPod Hi-Fi and I use it on as my external speaker for my iMac because I have it and it sounds pretty good and even though it was a problematic product in terms of its features and its price the fact is for my particular use case it works for me I've got it it sounds good right that so a lot of times it's that it's where you put it in context and say look you know because of the way i work or because of my personal uh you know being aware of your personal preferences is is part of it it's like the flip side of also not reviewing a product and saying it's bad because it doesn't fit what you want from that product because that's not um that's not enough when you write a product review to to say, well, I don't like it, so no, it's bad for everybody. So you, it's all it all goes with the responsibility of of uh, of knowing that you've got an audience and that people are listening to you to know to try to keep that in perspective. Now, I I'm not going to not give my opinion because it might. I, I, this is the one exception. We used to uh, debate whether we should write negative reviews of, of little uh, pieces of software or hardware that were that were just bad. Um, and I, I think what we decided was if nobody's ever heard of it, why would you review it? Because you're just being mean. Um, if it's a prominent piece of software or hardware and it's bad, you do need to write about it because you need to warn people off from it. But that was that was one case where it's like, why do I really want to step on these guys? You know, they nobody knows who they are and their app is bad. What? And that's where you get somebody who emails you and says, can you review my app? And you say, well, you know, send me a code and I'll look at it. And you look at it and it's terrible. And you have to choose. Do I write a thing that says, hey, this app is terrible. Ha ha. Or do I just not write about it? 
and and um, that's the one case where I will not turn my audience onto a poor, sad developer who made a product that they like, but that is not very good and that uh, nobody knows about. You just you let that one go. But generally, you just have to be aware of the impact of your words and um, and and you know. You have to be aware of it, but you also can't control it because otherwise you'll never say anything. (laughs) See, I'm on that side more. I try not to think about it. Like, if I like something, I like something, and I will speak about it. I try not to think about the fact that it then may make an influence one way or the other. Like, I just try and be honest about the stuff that I like and the stuff that I don't. But you you know people are talking about, like, the mic mouse, right? Yeah. about that mouse which of now like, I, oh, can't I bought use one of those right? anymore which, because yeah, I know see it has caused significant RSI problems for me um, so in a way actually I do feel bad about recommending that because I don't know if it's going to cause that way for the other but it was the way I was using it the mouse is is actually built ergonomically but I was using it all kinds of wrong like I was I programmed the all the little buttons to do certain things and looking back I, I, now I can see how I programmed it to do more than I should have been doing with it, like you know, the way I was editing with it and stuff like that, and, and was basically moved all of my keystrokes to mouse strokes, and it's not really built for that so much. So when I fully regain the use of my right hand again, um, I'm actually going to look into gaming mice because they're more made for macros and programs and the buttons of them. Um, but it is a fantastic mouse, and it makes me sad that I can't use it because I really, really love it, but I'm kind of stuck. Right, right, but this is—I mean, this is the example of people are talking about it, which means you did, you did spread that around. And it's a little bit different on a podcast, but it's not that different. And uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think you're right. On one level, you can't think about it because you need to be honest and talk about the things that you're doing and the things that you're using. On another level, you have to be aware of it, just in the sense of of you know, always remembering that it's going out to a larger group of people and that there may be an impact and and just to remind yourself to be to be honest and to be fair and to be responsible and to put it in any if there's any context that's required to put it in that context and you know i think ideally that's your default anyway but every now and then i think it it doesn't hurt to remind yourself like if i if i say this is great and i love it that um that uh people are going to hear that and that's that's why i will oftentimes say uh, throw in caveats or throw in explanations because usually if I love something, sometimes it's just unabashed love, but a lot of times it's like, well, I love it because it fits into this particular part of my workflow. Like I'm not going to say everybody should run out and buy this USB uh, mixer that I've got here uh, because it's probably not the best. Well, this happens with podcasting and microphones and stuff like that. It's like the Yeti, I'm still pretty comfortable as being a solid pick for people to use as a microphone, right? I don't use the Yeti or usually not. I've got one and I use it sometimes when I'm traveling, but I don't use it anymore. But what I'm using, people ask me, I'm like, well, yeah, what I'm using is, is more than that, but it was also more expensive. And I kind of do this for a living now. I it's not the same uh, as what I would recommend. And so just being aware of that, like that, that my, my context for microphones and podcast stuff is not the same as like what most people should probably be, be buying. So it's just, I don't know. Uh, The the short answer, Robbie is yes. We (laughs) We should have just said that. (laughs) Yep. Yep. We did. We had to show our work there, but yes, that's a good question. You got always got to show your work. Yep. 
I think we've reached the end of this week's episode. I think so. I want to just uh, extend my thanks again to Mr. Joe Steele for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have him on the show, and you should check out uh, Joe's work. He is at Joe Steele on Twitter, and you should check out the the Incomparable's lovely show, Defocused, which Joe is a a part of, which is really, really great, along with all the other great shows, all the great shows over at theincomparable.com, where, of course, you will find many of Jason's other podcasts. But he also hosts a plethora of shows on Relay FM, of course, Mm -hmm. including Liftoff, and clockwise, as well as the lovely upgrade, you are a, you are a podcasting marvel, Mister Jason Snell. Mike, I love that you exist because you're the you're the person who does more podcasts than me. So thank you. Anytime, anytime. I'll just keep I'll keep adding them. You keep removing yep. them. That's how we'll go right, for it. There we go. If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 61. I want to take a moment again to thank our friends over at stamps.com, Casper, and lynda.com for sponsoring this week's episode. You can find Jason on Twitter. He is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L, and I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and you can read Jason's work over at sixcolors.com. And we will be back next time. Don't forget, we do stream this show live. You can download the Relay FM app from the iTunes App Store. Do they call it the iTunes App Store anymore? Or did I just go back uh, about five app years? Store. The App Store. The App Store. The App Store. Because I was thinking it's not on Android, right? So I was trying to think of uh, the Apple App Store. Anyway, from the App Store. Um, and you can uh, sign up for push notifications. So when we do change our time around, which happens every now and then, you'll know. And it also has the information for when our next show will be streaming live. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. Goodbye, Mr. Snell. Oh, it's a special one. (laughs) 